I'll be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, please bear with me this morning uh, as my allergies are kicking in from the smoke outside. Uh, we have an air purifier at home, but when I walked out this morning, my eyes started becoming really itchy. I should have taken those antihistamines uh, that was recommended to me uh, a bit late now, but if my voice sounds coarse, uh, that's why. Uh, let's just pray again before we dive into the Word. Lord God, we thank you for who you are, for your goodness, for your grace, and for your invitation to worship you this morning. God, may you meet with us this morning. May you give us hearts to hear, minds to understand you, and ears to hear you this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for everyone that's come into your house here. Uh, we know that you have a deep and personal word for us. So may, may, you, may, may you help us to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As it's September 11th today, I want to ask you this question. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? Some of you I recognize weren't born and alive yet, uh, so I'll just say it straight up. But I remember for me, I, I was taking a shower. My mom was knocking on the door at around 8 a.m. or so. I was like, Doug, there's an airplane crashing into the building. And I'm like, Mom, what are you talking about? I didn't understand what you're going about. And I go out, go out and I watch the TV and the horror that ensued in New York City there. And then in my first block in high school, I remember sitting there, Mr. Feely's math class, watching the TV and just watching what was going on in New York there. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? You see, that was a date that marked for many of us, a, 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 it was a significant date for many of us that it's been seared into our memories because at 8.45 a.m. on that Tuesday morning, an American Airlines Boeing 767 loaded with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. Then 18 minutes later, another plane hit uh, the second tower. And I didn't want to put a picture up of the two towers burning because I know it might be triggering for some of you, but this is the National September 11th Memorial, as my wife Jess, who has visited it before, in her words, describes it as solemn and eerie all at the same time. You see, on that day, 19 militants connected to the extremist group Al-Qaeda hijacked four airplanes and carried out suicide attacks against the targets in the U.S. Two planes were flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, eventually taking down the two towers. 2,996 people were killed during the 9-11 terrorist attacks. 2,763 died at the World Trade Center, which included 343 firefighters and paramedics, 23 police officers, and 37 other authority figures, authorities who went into the building trying to 
rescue people. And I start off on this topic, not only because we're speaking on the theology of suffering, but also that is September 11th on this very day, some 21 years later from the event. And the question still rings on headlines this morning of where was God during such an event? Why does God allow suffering? Why does a good God allow evil in this world? And just this week, we would have heard on the news the ongoing war in Ukraine, the deathly earthquake in Sichuan, China, where 86 are dead so far. That's after 2008 of the massive earthquake they had then, where 69,000 were left dead. There was a flood in Pakistan this week with death toll of 1,300 people. We see smoke all across our province right now from the forest fires that's happening. Monsoons, tornadoes, landslides, fires, all these natural disasters wreak havoc across our globe. There's a mass stabbing in Saskatchewan this week, leaving 10 dead. And Queen Elizabeth II, the longest British monarch for the last 70 years, died at 96 years, reminding us that no matter our wealth, no matter our status, no matter the care that we have, the death rate of each person is 100%. Despite the best efforts of the health and wealth gospel and what we're told from that realm of, of things, uh, even Christians get old and Christians suffer and Christians die. People get sick and there's real suffering in this world, both spiritually or emotionally or mentally. You see, we're currently in a series called Living Life As, and we've been exploring different relationships we have in our lives. And even though today it doesn't necessarily have to do with relationships, this topic of suffering and pain uh, affects all of us because it has to do with this topic, this word, this very theological wor word, uh, theodicy. Theodicy, which is the theological word of trying to answer the question of why does God allow suffering? Or why does a good God allow evil in this world? Or why do bad things happen to good people? And maybe you have asked one or if not all three of these questions before. And we can go on the route of explaining how God has given us free will, which means we have the choice to not choose him, which means that human beings, we are fallen and broken. We, we tend to choose evil things. Or we could also say that all the pain and suffering we see in the world is because of the price of sin. And this blame what happened back in the Garden of Eden and the world assumes even this question of why do bad things happen to good people. You see, the world assumes that there are good people, that all people are good inherently. And the, that, that might be the way that we're taught in culture, but biblically speaking, we understand that there's something called sin and that really no one is, no one is good. And there's this uh, suffering that comes from this direct consequence of sin. And there's the topic of generational sin, maybe that some of us are living in right now, where we can experience the real effects of mistakes and sin in our family that we're still experiencing to this very day. There's also, maybe we can address it from the cosmic dimension, that there's something happening beyond our eyes in the spiritual realm, this realm. Just think about Job. The book of Job is all about that, that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we know. That maybe your suffering and your pain and, and, and what you're going through in life, it's a part, it's caught up in that cosmic dimension. We also know that God uses suffering as what our worship leader just mentioned before this, that God uses suffering in a real way in terms of disciplining his church, using pain as a way of correction, training, and education, and forming his church to be more Christ-like, to be more like God. And it's through this pain that we're able to clarify what's most important. Just think about the pandemic. The last two and a half years, 
is help us to reprioritize a few things in our lives. Or we could also mention, how does humanity know what is good and evil anyway? We can go down the philosophical, moral route of like, what is good and what is evil? See, but all, as true and as good as all those discussions are, I want to come from it from a little bit different angle this morning. I often find that these explanations, though theologically rich and I could engage in them all day, discussing them with people, often becomes too heady, too heady to penetrate into our, into our hearts, into our souls, into the real pain that we're suffering. Just to say, hey, evil happens when someone is suffering with depression. We just say, hey, pain happens and death happens when someone's son gets killed. See, that's too heady and that's too uh, not emotional into the God, uh, not, not explain fully the God of this universe and his heart for humanity. The angle I want to address today in the problem of pain and suffering is how, despite the pain and suffering we face, how we can still experience the assurance and the presence of a good God. That despite the pain we're going through, that you're going through this morning maybe, that God is still faithful and present through all things. And I'm hoping to strengthen you, that's the hope this morning, to strengthen you in your hope, uh, in your life as you go through your suffering. Or if life is good right now, I'm hoping that you will gain a wider a glimpse and understanding of theology of suffering so that we might suffer well when the time comes. And the big idea I have for us this morning is the security in our suffering comes from remembering and trusting in Jesus. Because when we're suffering, when our worlds are blown apart and everything we thought we knew, we don't know anymore, in that moment, how can we find a peace? How can we find a suffering? How can we find the straight road ahead into what God has for us? I believe in Scripture it has for us today that it comes from remembering and trusting in Jesus. Remembering and trusting in Jesus. And, and four points, which is one more than I normally give. <laughs> uh, four points today, and I'll go through it as quickly as I can. Uh, firstly, remembering what Jesus did reminds us of what he is doing now. Point number two, remembering what Jesus did brings clarity and purpose in life right now, for today. Number three, God can turn the shadows, the shadow moments in your life into good news. And number four, who we are does not change who Jesus is. F Philip Yancey in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? He has a section of the book talking about finding God at ground zero, where he shares a story of his friend who volunteered as a chaplain, leaving his city across in the West Coast all the way to the East Coast in New York uh, to volunteer as a chaplain at ground zero, just walking around when the attack had just happened. He explains the, the smell, he explains the sight, the sounds that were going on, and we hear of how the people there were just willingly going to a place of danger in order to help those who were suffering. And he asked this question, where is God when it hurts? And he says this in his book, where is God when it hurts? He is in us, not in the things that hurt, helping to transform bad into good. We can safely say that God can help, can bring good out of evil. We cannot say that God brings, out, up, brings about the evil in hopes of producing good. We get that in the beginning right there from Yancey, that where is God when it hurts? He's in us. He's in the people. We might not see God, but in the people of God, we tangibly see him at work. This is affirmed, and, and we get this from 1 John 4, 11 to, to 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
See, where is God when it hurts? We see him in the people. We see glimpses of God in the people, in the pain, that are in pain, that we see glimpses of what God is saying, that perhaps God reaches out to us through the people around us, and that God is at work in places that we least expect him to be at work, maybe even in your pain. In the problem of pain, uh, which was written in just before the Second World War, uh, C.S. Lewis, he talks about what walking by faith is like. And he explains the story of how walking by faith is like walking at night in a wartime blackout. You see, he taught at Cambridge, and during the war, as the Second World War, at nighttime, the whole town of Cambridge and the university and everything would just turn off all the lights so the enemy could not see him. Yet when he was walking around the campus, he could still see uh, the life that's going on. He could see glimpses of life from the people and the way that they were caring for each other in the ways that they were loving each other, even though they were covered in darkness, they could see, still see the light that's going on. They could see the light of the people caring and loving, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we lived in this darkened world where we cannot see 100%. And as Christians, we don't claim to have all the answers to the questions that we have in life. We can't see everything 100%, but, but we get glimpses of the bigger picture. We can't explain away every dark moment every shadow moment, every pain and suffering moment we see in history, but we can point to a God that knows all things and we can continue to trust him in all things. And that's the encouragement we see here in 2 Timothy 2, here today, that Paul, he's encouraging Timothy to remain strong in Jesus, even though you might not see, even though you're suffering, even though everything you thought you knew isn't what it is. He's encouraging Timothy to remain strong by drawing from the analogy of a a soldier listening to his commanding officer, to an athlete and his training, and also talking about a farmer working out in the farms and trusting in the crops uh, that's going to be grown. But I love how it ends in verse 7, if you have your Bibles here, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. I love what he says here. Uh, Reflect on what I'm saying here, Timothy, for the Lord will give you insight in all of this. And I feel that way after every single message. If none of what I just said made any sense at all, right? I just trust that God's going to speak. Like, that's kind of how I feel. And that's kind of like a little phrase that Paul throws in there. And then we go into verse 8 to 9, where it gives us some tangible tips of what it looks like to suffer well, what it looks like to go through life well. I I came across in my Instagram feed this, uh, you're like, what is that? Uh, This deep sea snail. Uh, It's in, uh, it has its own iron-clad suit of armor. It can be found around thermal vents in the deep ocean. Uh, So it's adapted to that hot environment uh, so well that it's collected the iron in the water and made its own shield. I'm like, God, you are amazing. All the creatures that you have were surviving beside these these thermal vents. And we kind of think of suffering in that way, that when we go through in the world, that we got to form our own armor, right? We got to form and collect the things that they kind of just harden us, they harden our hearts. Uh, I've seen it all, so I got to go through life just trusting in the shield that it built up around us. But what Paul argues is not to, to put on the armor ourselves to do, or to uh, try to build up a shield for ourselves, but it's actually to lean closer into Jesus. It's actually to be vulnerable, to lean closer into Jesus, into who he is, not into who we are, because we might be weak and we're human and we go through ups and we go through a lot of downs, but we are called to lean closer into Jesus instead. And he says this in verse Eight to nine, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. So the first point here, remembering what 
Jesus did then reminds us of what he is doing now because often in our suffering, we get so pinpoint and focused on what's happening right now that we forget the bigger picture. See, remember, this word for remember, to be mindful of, to think of, to recall, or to keep in your mind. It's a word that Jesus uses quite often, actually, reminding his disciples, like in Matthew 69, 16, verse 9, and Mark 8, uh, verse 18, to remember the time when he brought up the lo- five loaves and he was able to feed the 5,000. Or at John 15, 20, he says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. See, as, these, as Jesus talks about remembering, as these calls to remember in the context, uh, we see it in the context of pain and struggle. That when the disciples are struggling and they're losing focus of what's going on right then and there, he calls them to remember. Remember, remember. Hey, it, it seems like God's not providing right now. It seems like uh, no one's in control and, and we don't know what's going on. But remember the 5,000. Remember how I provided. Remember the five loaves and the two fish and how I was able to feed everyone that was there. You're going through pain and suffering now. But remember, that's, that's the life that we're called to. That you don't belong to this world, that you're different, that you belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and that this world will not recognize you and will reject you like they have rejected me. But how often, as I read that, how often do I forget? How often do I forget that call and what has happened? It's so hard to remember Jesus, though, especially in times of suffering. There's the temptation to forget God when things are good, but there's also the real temptation to blame God when things are bad. That we forget God when things are going well. That we're like, hey, this is the life I have, God, no thanks, but you know, I'm on my way. But we blame God when things aren't going the way that it is, but God's been with us through it all, through every step of it all. And when we say, and when Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, what does he really mean by that? It's a lot like saying today, remember what happened on 9-11? Or remember World War II. Remember when that family member passed away. Remember when you went through this or remember that. We're, we're, we're remembering that moment because there were certain things that we learned that they were enforced in us, that forged us in those moments. Remember Jesus. What are we remembering? Remember his sacrifice. Remember his love for you. Remember that he is for you even when you're hurting. Remember his life. But even more, remember his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, that he was able to break through all of that because of his promises, because he is God and he is who he says he is. Your night won't stay as the night. It will be day one day because Jesus says so. Remember that his word is powerful. At the end of the verse there, Paul says, I'm in chains right now, but the word of God, it can't be chained. Because that's who it is that we follow. God's word is so powerful, it cannot be chained, it cannot be stopped. It doesn't matter the borders you put around it, it doesn't matter if you put them in people in prison, it doesn't matter if you burn the books of the Bible, God's word will endure and go on because it's a testimony to who it is God is because of God's goodness and his sovereignty and because God ultimately is in control. You see, we need to remember this Jesus that we follow, especially in times of suffering, especially when times are hard, because the cross is what Jesus endured, and the cross, it reveals the kind of God that we follow. The cross reveals the kind of God that we follow, that he's not a distant God, 
It's not a God that doesn't understand you. It's not a God that doesn't care about you. It's a God that took on a human body and flesh to walk among us to experience what pain is like, to suffer on our behalf and also to give us life. The cross reveals the kind of God that we follow. And because of that, Paul goes on to say, for which I am suffering. Second part of the verse that we just read. For which. Whenever you see the word for in Scripture, pay attention for that because it connects the thought beforehand. Remember Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, meaning that remember Jesus, he's raised from the dead. Even death can't hold him down. He's descended from David. The promise of God all the way back to David and Abraham are all true, that God's word is trustworthy. And because of that, for which I am suffering. You see, clarity in suffering really is a gift. When we're suffering and when we're in pain and we're able to see things clearly still, that's a gift. That's a gift that we can't take for granted. We might not know why we're suffering or what we're going through, but we know who is suffering with us in that time. God is with you all the way through and through. And the rest of this passage really flows out of this clarity that Paul has. It just has for his suffering, which has to do with the faithfulness of Jesus. He's like, because God has been faithful, because Jesus has been faithful, because the Spirit is still faithfully moving among us, I will remain faithful, and I will continue to live the life that he has called me to. Because Jesus is faithful, for which, for this reason, I will also suffer, and I will hold the course. And it's because of Christ that Paul has this clarity in life. And can we say the same thing as what Paul is saying here? In moments of suffering, in moments of pain, in moments where we're asking these deeper questions, can we say we have this clarity, this kind of peace, this, this, this peace that we know that God is in control and that everything is going to be okay, that we're going through the suffering, that it really is Jesus that's in control. Can we have this, do we have this clarity? Because remembering what Jesus did brings clarity and purpose in life, especially in your moments of pain and in your moments of suffering. Now, why does Jesus give this kind of clarity? Well, C.S. Lewis, I'll quote him again, once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That is this Christianity I have, like I believe in Jesus because I see the sun, but when the sun rises, not only do I believe that the sun is risen, that the sun is physically there, but by the sun rising, I'm able to see everything else on this land because of the light that it gives. Maybe go with me a little bit philosophical here. Darkness is often defined by the absence of what? The absence of, of light. And evil can be defined in a very same way. Evil can be defined as the absence of good. Because evil has no definition in itself except to be defined by what is good. And see, God himself is the absolute good. God himself is absolute good. God himself, he cannot cast any shadows. God himself can't cast any shadows. And sometimes we think that God decides not to show up at specific places because he just decided not to show up. Well, that's not true. It's actually because of certain things that we've done as human beings that have blocked them out altogether. We read in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We have this promise that God, he is the light and he doesn't shift. He doesn't change. He is who he says he is for, a gener- for, a, for infinity be- before and infinity forward. He is who he says he is. And maybe this illustration of shadow, shadows, you can go with me a little bit. Here's a mid-autumn festival. 
yesterday, uh, I believe, and the moon uh, was, was bright and kind of orangey because of the forest fires and the, and, and the smoke, so it kind of looked a little eerie, like the end of the world uh, kind of thing. Every time there's a forest fire and the smoke, that's what I think about. I'm like, zombies are going to pop up, you know, uh, somewhere, right? Uh, but you see the moon, it gets its light from the sun. The moon in itself, it doesn't, can't generate uh, any light. It only shines because of the sun. And as bright as the moon was this week, when you compare that to the sun, if you put the moon beside the sun, the sun will just blow it away. The sun will cover it. You won't even be able to see the moon anymore. Just think about this for a moment, a little bit more. Nothing can cause the sun to cast a shadow. Nothing can cast a shadow cause the sun to cast a shadow because why? There's no greater source of light than the sun. There's no greater source of light than the sun. A lunar eclipse is what? When the earth casts a shadow on the moon, right? So it's the sun, the earth, and then the moon, and the earth casts a shadow on uh, the moon. And then a a lunar, a solar eclipse is when the moon blocks out the sun. I mean, simplifying it, uh, um, simplifying it, where there's a shadow onto the earth, where it's the sun, the moon, and the earth. But here's the thing, nothing can cause the sun to cast a shadow. Why? Because there's nothing brighter than the sun. There's nothing brighter than the sun, and we define everything else by the sun and by its light. Why am I going on and on on about this? Because that is a physical illustration for us to understand the goodness of God, to understand why there's light areas in the world and why there's shadow areas. God's not casting shadows because nothing can cause cast a shadow upon God. He is the brightest light there is possible, but the reason why there are shadows is because there's things that are blocking God, that do not want the presence of God. There are real evils in this world. As D.A. Carson, he's a Canadian, that's a very lengthy quote, but follow along with me, Canadian theologian, he's a, a professor emeritus of Trinity Evangelical School Divinity in Chicago and the co-founder of Gospel Coalition. He says this in his book of How Long, O Lord?, Evil is evil because it is rebellion against God. Evil is the failure to do what God demands or the performance of what God forbids. Not to love with with heart and soul and mind and strength is a great evil, for God has demanded it. Not to love our neighbor as ourself is a great evil for the same reason. The dimensions of evil are thus established by the dimensions of God. The ugliness of evil is established by the beauty of God. The filth of evil is established by the purity of God. And the selfishness of evil is established by the love of God. Even evil in itself, since it's defined by the absence of good, it's actually defined by the absence of someone blocking out the light of God in that very specific place. So it's not God that's to blame. It's actually humanity. In other words, because God is perfectly good and and evil is against God, God is the one who defines all things, not the other way around, and we get in trouble when we mix it up. Why am I going on and on about this? See, why am I going on and on about this? Because there's good news in all of this. Even though we cast our own shadows, even though we find ourselves in the problem of pain and suffering, Just follow along with me, the image of shadows. (laughs) Just go along with me a little bit more here. What's interesting in the imagery of shadows in the Bible is that they're all meant to be brief and momentary and transitory nature of human life. That's the way shadows are explained in Scripture, especially when compared to God. We read in Psalm 39, verse 5 to 6, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. We're just a shadow. We're just a breath. It's just a moment. 
Or Psalm 102, 11, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. It's only momentary. It's just for a short moment. Or you think about the shadow of death found in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But here's the good news that God can even turn the shadow of death into good news. That the shadows that we go through, the pain points that we have in life, God is continually changing and molding those moments into good news for you and for me. How? Well, in speaking about the restoration of Eden in Revelations 22.16, we read this from Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. You might have heard this before if you have Worship Central, if you've read some of Daryl Johnson's books. He's a local pastor and theologian. He says this, that the morning star is the ultimate sign of hope. Because why? It appears when the night is the darkest. When the sun is the, it appears when the night, night is the darkest. But when this star appears, you know that the sun is about to rise. That in your darkest of nights, in your most painful moments, if you hold on just a little bit longer, clinging on and remembering to God, you will see the sun rise. And this Jesus, he says, that is who I am, that in the, even though you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even though you're going through the worst pain you can ever imagine in your life, I am with you even then. I am with you through it all. Even when you just can't take it anymore, you're wondering if God can show up or not, there will be a light because he will appear. So, therefore, the Apostle Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I won't go on too much about this, but have you thought about the testimony you're giving by the way that you're suffering? That even in the way that you suffer, even the way that you go through life, in the way that you understand pain, that that in itself is already a testimony. So he goes on in verse 11 to 13, that there's this trustworthy saying. And this was a way of talking back then, that maybe this was the beginnings of the statements of faith of the early church. That they're trying to form ways of understanding their faith. So they said this, there's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Do you notice all the paradoxes right here? Do you notice all the paradoxes? That death will lead to life. That death will lead to life, that suffering will lead to reigning, that ultimately everything's going to be okay in the end. We have nothing to fear. And if you did a little bit more study into the, the tenses of the words, it's fascinating here because if we died, which is aorist, which is past tense, it's been done. If we died, we'll also live with him, which is the future. If we endure, which is the present, in this very moment, in your present, if we endure, we will also reign with him, which is in the future. If we deny Christ, which is not the past or the present, but the future, in the future, if we deny Christ, he will deny us as well if we reject him in the future. But if we're faithless, which is in the present moment, in your suffering, in your pain, if we're faithless in our current moment, he remains faithful in the present. 
He remains faithful no matter what. And here's my last and final point. Who we are does not affect who Jesus is, and that is good news. Because some of us have had many conversations with us where you're like, I don't know if I can follow Jesus anymore. I don't know the ways that you don't know the ways I've disappointed him or I'm walking away from my faith or I'm struggling right now. I don't know where God is. I'm suffering in this time of pain. The good news is Jesus is still there. He's still holding on to you. Who we are, what we're going through does not phase and change who he is. His promises still remains the same. Here we see the character of Jesus, which is unaffected even by our faithlessness. Even by our faithlessness, even when we're faithless, even when we doubt, even when we're struggling, God is still faithful. And you see, we, we can't cause God to respond, our response to him, it doesn't change him and his goodness and what he says because our actions, they don't, they don't dictate the, uh, the actions of God. Our actions don't cause God to be unfaithful any more than we can earn our own salvation. And we get in trouble here. We, we, it goes the other way too that we think we can own our salvation so we do some good things here and good things there. But salvation is through grace by faith and it's still the same that our God is unchanging even in our least, leastest moments, if that's a word that he is still present. I want to end with this little story here that I had a little God moment. Earlier this year, uh, I ran in the BMO Marathon back in May and before his pickup day uh, to pick up our package. And uh, at, the end of the, the, at the end of the line, there's a wall. There's a wall of the names of everyone that's running the, uh, running the event that year. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. There's two walls full and the names are super tiny. You can't even see it. Uh, that's only one panel on the right, and everyone is up there, like, scrambling. Hey, where's my name? Where's my name? Where's my name? Is it alphabetical? I don't know. You know, just kind of scrambling around, uh, looking around, and, and, and Cohen's like, can we go yet? You know, like, Doug, who cares? You know, Dad, you know, it doesn't really matter, uh, that kind of thing. But everyone was so happy to find their name until I finally found it, if you can even see it, <laughs> uh, uh, on this wall here of people that were running in the event. And then, of course, and my wife always grounds me, and she said in that moment, yeah, this is nice. But isn't it so much better that our name is going to be written in the book of life? That one day when you're there that you find your name, how much more joyful will that be? How much more awesome will that be? Despite the pain, despite the suffering, despite everything we go through, that one day our name will be in the book of life because we've held the course. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. That all of us wants to be known. All of us wants to find our name. But the point is, is this, that God already knows you. And he wants to write your name on there. It's not because of anything that we've done to earn it. but because Jesus wants you and wants this relationship. And he's with you in the suffering, with you in the pain, even when it doesn't make any sense at all. I really want to end with this now. <laughs> I was blown away this week by thinking about that, and I came across, just thinking about the thief on the cross. There's two thieves, one that rejected Jesus and one that, that believed in him and says, like, don't you fear God? Obviously, this is the man. Uh, this, is, this is truly God. And Jesus answers him in Luke 23, 43, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And can you imagine that thief being in heaven, just showing up at the pearly gates? And the, and the, <laughs> I'm just thinking about this scene. And the angel's like, what are you doing here? Like, I don't know. I was hanging on the cross one day. And I, did you go to baptism class? No. What's baptism? 
Did you go to Sunday school? No. What? Did you, you know, did you get a church membership? Like, which church do you go to? He's like, what? Can you explain the doctrine of salvation? Can you explain the doctrine of the Bible or God or Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Like, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't know. Hey, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. The only reason why I'm here is because of the guy in the middle cross. It's because of the guy in the middle cross that says, welcome. I'm not making light of Sunday school or service or worship. Those are ways that we gain a deeper appreciation. That's our way of pursuing Jesus and sharpening ourselves in our discipleship. We'll talk about that next week. But what I'm saying is that too many of us are trying to earn for our own salvation. That's also affecting the way that we're suffering, that we think it depends upon us. It depends on our own strength. But Jesus is saying that I am faithful. I am faithful even when you're faithless. That even in the unknown, even in the pain, even in the suffering, we can still trust who he says because of what he says, because of who he is. We can trust in his purposes. We can trust in his promises. And we can trust in his character. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the goodness of your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful even though we're faithless. And at this moment, God, I also want to pray for all of us that are suffering or feel like we're defined by those moments of pain in our lives. God, I pray that you will meet us in our pain, that you meet us in our suffering, that you're not a God that's far off, that's removed from us, but you're a God that's personal and intimate. You're a God that wants to know us. And Father, I pray for all of us that for those of us that don't know you yet, Lord, I pray that we will come to receive you into our life, Jesus. Because our lives are chaotic. Our lives, we might think we know what's going on. We might put on that front, that hard shell that we talked about. But ultimately, inside, we're scared and we're lost and we're saying we need you. Make way for conversations in that way. For those of us that don't see the end of the night, Father, I pray that you would be that bright morning star to hold us firm, to help us to shine to shine away through the darkness. Father, I pray for healing in all of us that are experiencing hurt. Human words are insufficient. We pray for, for your spirit to bring healing upon us now. Thank you, Lord, that you understand us. Thank you, God, that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.